This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. Johannes Coxeus lived from 1603 to 1669. For most of his career, he taught in the Netherlands. He was arguably one of the most important and influential Reformed theologians of the period, and his influence continues to be felt. But there is a good chance that you have never heard of him. In part, that's due to the fact that none of his works have ever appeared, until now, in the English language. Dr. Casey Carmichael, who earned an M.A. at the University of Kentucky in Classics and a Ph.D. at the University of Geneva, has been studying the life and work of Johannes Coxeus for several years. He has also just produced the first-ever English translation of Coxeus' major work on covenant theology, The Doctrine of the Covenant and Testament of God, one of the five most important works in the history of Reformed covenant theology. It's Volume 3 in the series of English translations, which I have had the pleasure of editing. The series is called Classic Reformed Theology. This volume and others is available through the bookstore at Westminster Seminary, California, wscal.edu slash bookstore. Dr. Carmichael joins us now to talk about the life and theology of Johannes Coxeus and the translation of The Doctrine of the Covenant and Testament of God. Hi, Casey, and welcome to Office Hours. Hi, Scott, and thanks for having me. Well, this is a big deal. This work has been referred to by scholars for centuries, and Reformed theologians have read it and discussed it, and in fact, whole chairs of theology have been named, you know, or at least organized after Coxeus and some of his opponents, and in some ways you can think about Dutch Reformed theology before Coxeus and after Coxeus, and that can't be said of very many people. So you've performed a great service to us all by getting this volume into English, and we're grateful for your good work. So how did you come to be interested in the life and work of Johannes Coxeus? Well, I initially had an interest in the history of covenant theology that was really developed probably out of encountering the federal vision in my college years and you know, battling that and hearing claims, for instance, for monocovenantalism. And so I think even claims from people of that persuasion who would impute monocovenantalism back onto the Reformed tradition. And so then whenever I think I came here to Westminster and I read some Olivian with you in Latin. And after that, I wanted to translate his work. And whenever I went to pursue graduate studies in classics, you had mentioned the CRT series. And so I was interested in translating Olivian, you know, the idea of going back to the sources to, you know, what did Reformed say on covenant theology. And you had mentioned that you were working on it, but you mentioned Coxeus and his importance. And it was also really at that time that I sort of discovered a niche of integrating classics and my interest in classics and theology by working with these Reformed Latin texts. And I ended up at the University of Kentucky for my master's degree, and they were interested in Neo-Latin. There are a couple of Erasmus scholars there, and they're interested in 
every kind of discipline in Latin. So I was also able to work with a patristic scholar. And so I started translating Axeus for the CRT series. And then I also wrote a master's thesis and then eventually a doctoral dissertation on him. That's great. So the listener should understand that this is just one of the several projects that you have done for the series. We're currently in the editing stages of getting the first ever English translation of J.H. Heidegger. And then after that, there is a work of Robert Rollick that you've done that's never been translated before. And so you are single-handedly bringing into the English language really a whole wealth of texts that English readers have not had for hundreds of years. This is very exciting. Um, tell us, first of all, then, who was Johannes Coxeus? We know his dates, right, 1603 to 1669. But tell us a little bit more about him. Where is he from and where did he spend his career? Well, although we tend to associate him with the Dutch Reformed tradition, he was born in Bremen, Germany. And that's where he received his early education and went to gymnasium. To sort of an advanced high school, prep school kind of entity. Right, right. And it was there that he began to develop an interest in Oriental languages. And he wrote essentially, you might want to consider his senior thesis on the religion of the Turks. So he did some scholarship on the Koran in that. So this is a really well-rounded, all-round scholar. He becomes a philologist, a student of ancient languages. How many languages did he read besides Latin? Obviously, all the scholars of any repute in the 17th century were able to read and write Latin. And of course, their own national language, whether Dutch or German or French or English or what have you, but also other ancient languages, right? Right. He continued on for his advanced studies at the University of Franeker, and I knew that he became especially proficient in Hebrew and Aramaic, and that really in his lifetime it published the year of his death was really his most influential work at the time was his Hebrew Latin lexicon. But he was also proficient in Arabic, Syriac, and which is amazing, Probably really. More, right. I mean, today, were he alive, we would consider him, you know, a great Old Testament scholar, perhaps, or a great biblical right. scholar. But in the 17th century, he didn't have to restrict himself to just this particular narrow discipline, right? He could do philology, he could do work in these ancient languages beyond the biblical languages, and he could also write what we would think of as biblical theology, and he even wrote a systematic theology, which has never been translated. Right. So he is a uh, maybe a polymath, able to work in multiple fields at a high level simultaneously. Right. And he did also lecture through the entire New Testament, and he has commentaries on the entire New Testament in addition to the Old Testament. And he started out as a professor of biblical philology and Hebrew at Franeker, and then in 1650 he moved to professorship of theology at the University of Leiden. And what was he teaching at Leiden? He was teaching theology and I think he was also doing some Hebrew. He was commissioned especially to do polemical theology against the Jews. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. 
We're talking to Dr. Casey Carmichael about the first ever English translation of Johannes Coxeus' The Doctrine and Covenant of the Testament of God. It's volume three in the classic Reformed theology series published by Reformation Heritage Books. If the listener knows anything about Coxeus, it's probably that he was a controversial figure in the 17th century. Why would that be, since he's an obviously gifted scholar, philologist, biblical theologian, systematic theologian, covenant theologian? Why was he controversial? Well, in his day, the two chief controversies that he had were among inter-Reformed controversies among his Dutch Reformed brethren, uh, particularly with the Wutzians. And of course, there was the influence of the further Reformation and the influx of British Puritanism in the Dutch Republic in the 17th century. And that tended to identify more with Gispertus Vutius. It tends to be polarized with Coxeus. So you have the Vutzians and the Coxeans. And what were the two arguments that the Fuchsias and the Coxeans were having? Well, it started out in the 1650s over the question of the Sabbath. And the Vutzians took the position that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath and so far as I know, they were very strict. And Coxeus, however, uh, believed that the prohibition to work was abolished in the New Testament so that it was illicit to conduct work on Sunday, although he still did believe in the necessity of attending all worship services. And then in the 1660s, there was a second dispute in which Vutius and he, I think, engaged a little bit more. Vutius got more involved was over the mode of justification between the testaments. And in that one, Vutius argued that the modes were the same. Coxeus emphasized a contrast between the mode of justification for believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He made the distinction between the Greek terms paresis and aphasis. Which mean what? So paresis is uh, passing over. You see it in... Romans 3.25. Right, that's right. And whereas uh, aphasis is the full remission. And so he's saying that in the Old Testament, in terms of the instrument, they would both be agreed, you know, that justification is by faith alone. But in terms of what he calls the mode, it was by passing over versus full remission. And so really both of those disputes kind of center around his sharp distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the debate seems to be, in both cases, about the continuity and discontinuity between the Old and New Covenants. And Coxeus ended up on one side of these, and Fuchsias and the Fuchsians on another side. And this debate became so heated within the Netherlands that there actually ultimately ended up to be two chairs of theology at the University of Leiden, right? One for the Fuchsians and one for the Coxeans. And Coxeus actually gave birth, as it were, to a movement— and not all of whom necessarily went where Coxeus himself went. Some of them became rather progressive. For example, were reading Descartes and trying to figure out a way to synthesize Cartesian philosophy with uh, Reformed theology. And there's no evidence that uh, Coxeus himself ever did anything like that. Is that fair, you think? Right. I think that's fair. What you see in Coxeus is almost more of a 
his sense of appreciating his sense of genre or of his limitation as a theologian. And so he sees somewhat more of a separation between theology and philosophy. So I think that the reason why some people did come after him was because he never came down on Descartes, really. His colleague and friend at Leiden, Abraham Haidanus, did try to appropriate Cartesianism and integrate it into Reformed theology. But Coxeus, as you'll see in the translation, he does quote Descartes, I think, once on an issue related to volition, something along those lines. So just as though he would quote maybe a rabbi or any other scholar that would confirm a point that he's making. For us as Christians, especially those who actually believe the Reformers got it right, it was nothing short of the recovery of the gospel out of the darkness of the Middle Ages. Mike Horton for Westminster Seminary, California. There's nothing more important than getting the gospel right and getting the gospel out. Judged by those terms, the Reformation was the greatest recovery of Christianity and missionary expansion in the history of the church since the Apostle Paul. The Reformation is important to Westminster Seminary, California, because we purport to be trying to make experts in the Bible. Scripture is our focus here. At the center of the biblical message from Genesis to Revelation is God's redemption of sinners in Christ, the gospel. The Reformation not only clarified that message, but also was a flowering of biblical scholarship. Westminster takes the Reformation seriously only because it takes the scriptures seriously. And the Reformation was one of the greatest recoveries of scripture in the history of the church. We are reformed not because we want to belong to a tribe, but because we believe that this is actually the riches of scripture for the whole church. And it's not something that we possess, but something that possesses us. WSCAL.edu, 888-480-8474. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, his gospel, and his church. And his scholarship is pretty extensive. You see him interacting a lot with Grotius, who's a great philologist, legal scholar, whom people in law school and political science departments still read Grotius. And he was influenced by the Remonstrants and uh, arguing some views relative to the Old Testament that were regarded as novel and, and maybe even dangerous. And uh, Coxeus defends Reformed Orthodoxy against Grotius and interacts with a whole range of scholars. Right. He also did a polemical work against the Sicinians. He interacts pretty extensively with Sicinians. He has uh, also a kind of a thoughts or reflections on Bellarmine's disputations. And really, it is interesting to note that even his polemical thrust, and that's one thing that a scholar named Adina Yofi has pointed out in her 2009 Harvard dissertation in which she compares him to the Lutheran Orthodox theologian Abraham Kalav, but that although he has in the past perhaps century prior to ours been characterized as extremely mild-mannered and kind of non-polemical, but when you actually look at his writings, the content, although perhaps not the manner or the form, is quite polemical. 
when we're talking about the Socinians, we're talking about a group of rationalists that developed out of the 16th century and early 17th century who essentially sought to lay waste to not just reform theology, but to ecumenical Christian truth. So they denied the deity of Christ. They denied the substitutionary atonement. They denied the Trinity. So when the Reformed were responding to the various challenges in the 17th century, one of the major fronts of warfare was against the Socinians. And today we know Socinians as Unitarians, so they still exist, but it was a major influential movement in the 17th century to which the Reformed responded. They also were responding to Roman Catholicism. So when you mentioned Robert Bellarmine, he is sort of the face of the Roman Catholic counter-reformation and uh, critique and criticism of Protestant orthodoxy and particularly of Reformed theology. So they were all reading Bellarmine, who was a very articulate, learned, persuasive, articulate critic of Reformed Christianity of a sort that probably didn't exist in the 16th century. So things are a little more complicated in the 17th century, which then produces more sophistication among the Reformed, right? Going back to the scriptures in a new way and engaging with scholarship in a more sophisticated way than even we had done in the 16th century. Right. What is it that you think drives Coxeus's covenant theology? Tell us, how is this work? And we're talking with Dr. Casey Carmichael about his brand new first ever English translation of Johannes Coxeus' work, The Doctrine of the Covenant and Testament of God. How is this work structured? What organizes it? Well, he structures it around what he calls the abrogations of the covenant of works. So it's structured around five abrogations of the covenant of works. So he's operating on the three covenant system. He has a chapter on the pactum salutis or the covenant of redemption. Which is the pretemporal, eternal covenant between the Father and the Son and implicitly the Holy Spirit that sort of lies behind the outworking of redemptive history that we see in Scripture. Correct. And he also has, of course, is believes in the covenant of works made with Adam in which God promised life and righteousness on the basis of Adam and Eve's obedience to the prohibition to eat from the forbidden fruit. And then the covenant of grace, as he would acknowledge Genesis 3.15 as being established there and Proto-Evangelion and the promise to crush the serpent's head. So he's looking at redemptive history as the outworking of the promise that God made to Adam and Eve after the fall. And he sees it as a succession, as you say, five abrogations. What's an abrogation? So abrogation is fairly synonymous with abolition or abolishment. Uh, Canceling, maybe? I think so. You could say cancellation or nullification. So he sees redemptive history as working out the covenant of grace and the development of it and the progress of redemptive history, the progress of revelation. And as part of that, you have this fivefold cancellation of the covenant of works in which God said, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And then the other side of which is obey this law meet this test, and you will enter into a state of eternal and immutable blessedness with me. Adam failed that as the federal head, the representative head of all humanity. And so then the question comes, what is the status of the covenant of works after he breaks it? Is that fair? And then Coxeus is working out what happens to it? I think so. His concept of the abrogation of the covenant of works is probably most distinctive to him. But yeah, you kind of have this sense of the covenant of works and the covenant of grace coexisting. And kind of as the covenant of grace is growing 
or increasing the covenant of works is decreasing. So the covenant of grace is kind of rooting out the covenant of works throughout time. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. This work is, as I say, arguably one of the five most influential works in the history of Reformed theology in explaining the covenant. It's largely been lost to us until recently, until your good work in getting this translated. And we're thankful to Reformation Heritage Books, Joel Beakey and crew in getting this into print so that English readers can now see this. How influential was this book after it came out? How was it received and how did it reverberate through Reformed theology? Well, I know that probably the most famous statement that's by a very prominent theologian is Karl Barth, who says that, you know, in Coxeus, covenant theology reached its highest form, the ripest, the strongest, and most impressive. And even today in our, for instance, the blurbs that we got for the translation, we have prominent social historians who note that this was a very significant text in the history of covenant theology and for the Reformed tradition. Also, another important covenant theologian to follow him who was influenced by him was Herman Vitius, who we've had in translation for 150 years or so. Okay. So if you want to understand Herman Witsius or Witsius and uh, Wilhelmus of Brockel and some of the writers from the later 17th century whom we have in English translation, if you want to get the background to what they're talking about, and Witsius doesn't always tell us whom he's criticizing or with whom he's interacting, but one of the gentlemen that he mentions with whom he interacts and by whom he was influenced and from whom he probably dissented in certain respects was Johannes Coxeus. And if you want to get a better picture of what's happening in the 17th century, the kind of creativity that's happening in Reformed theology in the 17th century, then it would be useful to read Johannes Coxeus' The Doctrine of the Covenant and Testament of God. When was it first published and what was the final edition? It was first published in 1648 under the title Collations on the Covenant of God, I think. And it was first published as a series of disputations that he had with his students. These would be academic disputes or academic debates, formal debates, not heated personal arguments, but formal academic debates. Right. And so that was when he was in Froniker. And then in 1654, he published a second edition in Leiden. And then in 1660, he published the third and final edition in Leiden also. And of course, there were several posthumous editions that added marginal notes. And so you had to sit down and look at all this and work through all this, both for your master's work, your doctoral work, and then finally for this translation project. I know from having worked with you on this project that getting Coxeus Latin into English was no small project. In fact, as we got into this, we realized pretty quickly why to this point no one had ever done an English <laughs> translation because Coxeus mm -hmm. writes very long and convoluted sentences. So we hope the English reader will bear with us. We did the best we could to try to break those up and to make him as readable as possible. So as you're working through this, you're obviously facing the challenge of the Latin, but how did it affect you personally? How did you grow? How did you change? What did you learn through the course of working through this text and getting it from Latin into English? 
Well, it definitely helped me learn to appreciate the skill of translation. I think when I began, I had the idea that, well, if I know the Latin well, then it'll be okay. But really... Also, as you mentioned, uh, having extremely long sentences, I mean, we see that in some of the other texts that one I'm working on right now where a sentence may go on beyond a page. And how do we break that up into English while remaining faithful to the original author and also really realizing that as a classics professor once told me basically that in translating it's as important to be adept at English as it is to be in Latin and so and through the process of all the editing I've learned a lot about writing good plain English and <laughs> Coxeus wasn't given to being plain so getting Coxeus from complicated Latin into plain English is not an easy task one of the things that impresses me as I read this text and I just wondered as we bring this to a close, we're talking to Dr. Casey Carmichael about the translation of Johannes Coxeus, the doctrine and covenant of the Testament of God. One of the things that struck me again and again as we work through this text over and over again is that though he is a highly skilled scholar, an obviously brilliant man, you can feel the heartbeat of a fellow who loves the Lord, loves the Word, and really wants people to put their trust in Christ. And he really does see Christ. However we come out on these various questions of Sabbath and uh, paresis and aphasis, he really did all that to try to point people to Christ. Do you think that's fair? I do. And I think that that's probably on the personal spiritual level has been one of the takeaways from my study of Coxeus has been his very redemptive historical reading of the text, always pointing the reader to Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash office hours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.